Hi, Regen. My name is Dave. I have a new life in Christ. I'm recovering from PTSD, trying to find comfort in alcohol and pornography. So good to be with you tonight. I need Jesus. I love the song we just sang. I need Jesus. That's why I'm here. I know many of you are here for the same reason. I'm glad we're together tonight. Uh, I don't know about you, but I really like reading stories of people who accomplish firsts in their field. I'll give you a few examples. I love the story of Jackie Robinson, first African-American baseball player who broke the color barrier and played in the major leagues. How about Amelia Earhart, first known woman pilot to cross the Atlantic? Or how about something like uh, Neil Armstrong, his story of being the first human being that walked on the moon? I I love stories of first. And tonight, as we continue our series of People of the Bible, we're going to look at the first human being. His name is Adam. And he has one good first. One of his good firsts is he's the first person ever to obey God, but he has one terrible first. He was the first to sin against God, to disobey God. And his sin is connected to us in such a profound way. It's partly why we're here tonight seeking recovery together in region. So simple question I want to ask us tonight, and that is what does Adam have to do with our recovery? If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to Romans 5. I'm going to read for you verses 18 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, we'll project it up behind me here. If you'd like a Bible, let us know. Anybody with a name tag, let us know and be glad to get you a copy of the Bible. Here's what scripture has to say about Adam. Therefore, as one trespass, that's Adam's sin, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience... The many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Three ideas I have that I think come out of this text tonight uh, that I want to get to quickly. But before I do that, let me just give you a little bit of background on Adam. Adam and Eve were the first human beings created by God. They were unique from all other creatures and that according to the scripture, they were created in the image of God. And we see two distinct aspects about them that, mean, that connected to being connected in the image of God. One is for relationship. Human beings can relate to God in ways that no other creatures can relate to God. God created them with express purpose that they would have a worship relationship with him. But he also created them to rule over the earth in a way that reflected his goodness, almost like mirrors. As human beings spread out through the earth, the idea was, as we worship God, we reflect to all of creation his glory, his greatness. That's the good news, but the good news ends quickly. Adam and Eve did the very thing God told them not to do, and Adam sinned. And we come to this passage tonight that we just read. We see the consequences of Adam's sin. So three big ideas about Adam. I want to walk through them all with you very briefly tonight. First thing is this. Adam represents us all before God. God looks at the world very differently than we do. He ultimately determines reality. He is the creator of the universe. And when he looks at humanity, he sees us all through the lens of Adam. So as God looks at humanity, Adam is our representative and he represents us before God. We have this concept a little bit in our government, right? We don't go and vote on legislation. We send representatives to Congress and they vote on our behalf. Or maybe here's a better example. What about team sports? Uh, Any Dallas Cowboy fans in the room? 
Anybody willing to admit it? That's probably why many of us are here in recovery tonight, especially me. Another season, more recovery needed. I'll be back in Regen next year. I'm quite confident of that because of the pain the Cowboys inflict upon me. I have a good friend. Uh, he's a pastor also. I just call him Pastor Diddy. He is, from, uh, he is from New Jersey, but his favorite team, or so he says, are the Philadelphia Eagles. And so to me, the Dallas Cowboys represent the city of Dallas. So when they play the Eagles this year and they beat the Eagles, I'm going to call Pastor D up and say, ha ha, we won, you lost, you're such a loser. I'm going to hang up. He'll call me back later and remind me that his favorite team is actually the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or whoever's winning that year. But we have that idea, right? They represent us all. When they win, we win. When they lose, we lose, right? We have to call in to work sick the next day because we have to get over that loss. That's the idea with Adam. Adam represents us all before God. We're going to have to get through some bad news till we get to the good news at the end. So the second thing about Adam is actually really bad news. Adam sinned and made us all guilty before God. Isn't that tragic? When Adam sinned against God, you and I, by God, were considered of having his sin. We call this in Scripture maybe the idea of original sin. You perhaps have heard of inherited guilt. In other words, when God looks at us and he sees Adam's sin, he considers it belonging to us. So you and I are both sinners by nature or birth and by choice. From the moment we're conceived, we're conceived bearing Adam's sin. We're sinners by birth, and then we get really good at it as we get older. We more and more become rebellious towards God. I uh, was born and raised in New Mexico, And as I got to be old enough, I realized New Mexico is not really that big of a deal. As a matter of fact, most people in the United States don't even know that it's in America. Uh, I remember remember our newspaper in Albuquerque running a a, a regular column on one of our 50 is missing, one of our 50 states is missing, and it'd be stories of people that traveled outside of Mexico. They'd run into friends. Friends would want to come visit, and they ask questions like, do we have to change our dollars into pesos when we go there? And so people just didn't know about it. In most people's mind, perhaps it's your mindset too, New Mexico is just this little ghost town along the Rio Grande, somewhere west of here. In the 1980s, we had a governor, and he loved that. He loved that imagery. His name was Bruce King. That just sounds like a cowboy, doesn't it? And he would play it up. So everywhere he'd go, he'd wear a big 10-gallon hat and western boots and western uh, vest and the bolo tie with turquoise on it. And in many ways, for those of us who wanted to be more accepted by people outside of New Mexico, he was kind of an embarrassment. My cousin came back one time on a business trip and she said, I saw somebody famous in the Chicago airport. And I was so hoping it was Michael Jordan. I said, who was it? She said, it was our governor. And I said, oh. I said, was he wearing his Western clothes? She said, yeah, absolutely. He was wearing his Western clothes, had his his leather, leather suit coat on and his bolo tie and his hat and his boots. And she said, you know what? It was worse than that. I said, how could it be worse than that? She said, He went over to the hot dog stand, got a Chicago dog, and spilled mustard and relish all over his clothes. And I said, that's the guy that's representing us. She said, I know. And I said to her, he's making us look bad. Adam does more than make us look bad before God. Adam makes us bad before God. Because you and I are human beings born into the human race with Adam as our represented, you and I are born with the guilt of Adam's sin. You and I are guilty before God. You and I are in an antagonistic relationship with God. We desperately need help. We need Jesus, don't we? And that's my third point. Here's the good news. We need a new and greater representative. His name is what? Jesus. 
Here's the good news. When we look at people in the Bible, oftentimes we look at people pointing to Jesus. Adam points to Jesus in a very unexpected way. He is what theologians call a type of Jesus, meaning there's a pattern of Jesus who is to come in Adam. Now, Jesus and Adam are the same in that Adam is a man, Jesus is fully human, but he's also fully God. Jesus without sin, Adam sinned. But Jesus' act of obedience, being obedient even to death on a cross, has the same impact that Adam's sin has on us. In other words, Jesus' obedience can be considered ours as a free gift from God that we receive by faith. Isn't that good news? Here's what that means practically. If you're here tonight and you would say, Dave, I'm a Christian. And I would ask you, what does that mean to you? And you said, I- I've come to this place where I've turned, trying to, I've turned away from trying to make this work on my own and I'm, I'm trusting in Jesus that all that he says about himself is true. I would say, that's amazing. Here's what just happened when you do that. There's this credit that happens. God credits Jesus' perfect obedience of record to your account, forensically and forever. Isn't that good news? You know what that means practically tonight? Even if you're here at Regen because you're struggling and you're suffering and you're working through sin, you are righteous because as God looks at you, he sees you through the lens of his son Jesus who has a perfect record of obedience. Jesus lived the only perfect life that's ever been lived. He went to the cross and there he died in our place. He's risen from the dead, bodily, physically, the right hand of the Father. One day he'll return and God offers us Jesus' perfect record of obedience, to be ours forever, to be received by faith. Have you received that gift tonight? If you're here tonight and you're a Christian, I want you to do something that might feel a little weird. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and say, I am righteous. Go ahead and say that. Just say it. Neighbor, you look back at that brother and sister and you say, you are righteous indeed, brother or sister. Go ahead. Isn't that good news? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, we're here and we're struggling and we're working through recovery and there's things in our life that need to change. But when God looks at us, he doesn't look at what we're doing for him in order to earn merit. What he sees instead is Jesus' perfect obedience considered to be ours by his grace. I wanna be really honest with you tonight. You can experience sobriety apart from Jesus. People do it every day. People stop drinking apart from Jesus. People stop abusing chemicals apart from Jesus. You, you, can, you, can, you can do better with your anxiety apart from Jesus. You can modify your behavior. You can repair some of your broken relationships apart from Jesus. You can change the way that you look at fear and, and other things that are, that are hurting you right now apart from Jesus. Here's what you can't do apart from Jesus. You can never overcome Adam's guilt that's yours apart from Jesus. The only way that you could ever stop being guilty before God is to receive God's righteousness that's yours, offered as a free gift through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you do that tonight? Would you be interested in doing that tonight? Talk to anybody here and they'll be glad to explain how that happens. Now, what does this mean for us that are in recovery? You and I have received as a free gift Jesus' perfect record of obedience. Here's how it looked in a case that I was working through personally recently. As I shared with you earlier, I'm in recovery from uh, three things, but two of those things are PTSD and going to alcohol for comfort. And sometimes those two things collide. As I've been working through counseling and processing PTSD, my, my original source of PTSD is my wife and I, Kara, losing our little boy, um, David Michael, when he was two months and four days old. 
He died at Children's Hospital here in Dallas. And that was kind of the origin of my trauma. Well, recently, one of my grandsons that was about the same age, a little bit older at the time, was having breathing problems. He had RSV, and he had to be uh, admitted to Children's Hospital, this time in Plano. And all of a sudden, my trauma got triggered. You ever had that experience? Like, uh-oh, here we go again. And in that moment, I started to think to myself, although I didn't tell anybody, you know, this would be a good night to, to knock down a few hard drinks. Because I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling unstable. I'm feeling unsteady. Now, here's where the obedience of Jesus shows up. Here's where it's beautiful. Jesus' obedience is yours. Will you use it? It shows up to us at the perfect time at the point of temptation because here's what you may not know about Jesus. Jesus experienced temptation of every sort. The only difference between you and me and him was that he never sinned. Right before Jesus goes to the cross, the most agonizing experience he will ever live through or anybody for that matter will live through, he is offered, remember this story, he is offered wine mixed with mirror. You know what that is? That's a painkiller in the ancient world. Jesus was in a very different circumstances, but in many ways, the same space I was that night while my grandson was going into the hospital. You know what Jesus did when he's offered wine mixed with myrrh in a way to dull his pain? You know what he said? No, thanks. I'm going to the cross. How could he do that? I think we find the answer in his final words on the cross when he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's because he trusted the Father. Now, here's what that means practically. It means the moment of my temptation where my PTSD can collide again with my looking for comfort in alcohol, Jesus shows up. And his obedience is mine. And the way that I use it is by faith. I trust in him. I invite the Holy Spirit, the very spirit of Christ that indwells me to please, Holy Spirit, make the obedience of Jesus mine. I need it right now. How about you? Maybe you're wrestling with lust tonight. You know what? Jesus had amazingly deep relationships with women, but he never was lustful. His obedience is yours. Maybe yours is anxiety. Jesus was in situations that were awful. He had his closest friends deny him and betray him, and he was going to the cross, and he knew it all the while. He was never anxious for a moment. His obedience is your obedience. Maybe you're struggling through a codependent relationship. Jesus had many relationships. He was never codependent. He loved people perfectly. His obedience is yours. Will you receive his obedience tonight by faith?